0: I don't know about you, the last maybe chapter and a half of Luke has been often difficult to watch, sort of difficult to stomach all that's going on with Jesus being betrayed by his close friends and being mocked and being beaten and ultimately put up on the cross. And all the while, Jesus is the same gracious, loving Savior in the midst of everything that's going on to him. And last week, sort of the first part of our two-part climax for this, um, the scene ended with Jesus' lifeless body hanging on the cross. And the crowd was sort of leaving the scene, leaving the time of execution, contemplating what, what all this meant. And last week, we got to pay attention to the death. What did the death mean? And today, we have the second part. Of our climax, and it is an incredible climax. So, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? This is Luke chapter 23, verse 50 to 24, verse 12. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. And this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. And may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Pray with me again. Lord, our God, we thank you for this text. We thank thank you for not just that we have it in in written form, but for the truth of it, that it has truly happened. Lord, we pray that you would use your word to remind us of things, to work on each of our hearts by the power of your spirit. Help us to love our Savior and live in light of his resurrection. It's in his name we do pray. Amen. So in case you've been on a different planet uh, for the last few weeks, we have had an election cycle go through our country. You may have noticed that our country has been gripped by this in many ways, and it doesn't really matter where you fall on the spectrum, the political spectrum. Everybody was interested in this election. Everybody thought it was an important election, incredibly significant in the life of this country. Sort of all eyes, if not, if not all eyes, most eyes have been on this. But there are those things that will happen that will shift your focus. Things that will happen that will make you say, well, the thing that I thought was so important, it really isn't that important. It's not as big a deal. Some of you might recognize the name Tim Challies. Tim Challies is a reformed pastor. Uh, reformed pastor in Canada. He's also a blogger. I have followed him for years, read his stuff. He's so helpful in so many different things. The day after the election, he posted a blog that was titled, My Son, My Dear Son Has Gone to Be with the Lord. He wrote just a short blog telling us what happened. He's a 20-year-old, and he was at school He's playing some game with his sister and his fiance, and he collapses and dies on Tuesday, the day of the election. I'm still not sure exactly what happened to him, but he talked about how difficult writing that was. And whatever your concerns would be about things like the election, in that moment, it puts perspective on everything. Everything. Because the important things of life and death and eternal things come to the fore. They get brought in front of us. And what I've thought about since this is watching the updates about they've struggled with quarantine and COVID. And all the various things they've had to work around with regard to the funeral. And I was thinking about the zapping nature that death is. Death is a joy and hope destroyer. It's what it is. It has devastating effects and it's a life-sucking reality for all of us. And I think of those who were following Jesus' great hope and joy in his presence all the time. And many of them woke up on Friday to find out that Jesus was going to be crucified. Think about that. Think about what had happened to them. Though Jesus didn't collapse and die, in just a few hours, in the middle of the night, for you know, at one in the morning, he gets taken. Not everyone's seeing this. This is, in a, this is outside the public eye. People wake up. He's in custody and being taken to the cross. That's their experience. And in a shockingly swift way, Jesus dies, and it seems that hope has died with him. Some of us have experienced that with friends and families where we haven't had the time that we thought we had to say goodbye. And it's like death comes and robs our time with that person. And there are people here that have got to be feeling the same way. Death robbed my time with Jesus. Because, see, what happens on Sunday is so unexpected. You know this, it's so unexpected. And at the same time, it was something that was inevitable. Something that had to happen. And today, for this, this morning, what we're going to do is we got two parts to the sermon, really. And then are really the passage. And the first part of the passage is, is seeking to drive home the reality that Jesus is dead. And the second part of, this, of the passage is seeking to drive home the reality that Jesus is alive. If you want it shorter and a little pithier, first part... Jesus is really dead Second part Jesus is really alive And we need both of these So let's begin here See how the passage drives home The reality of Jesus' death Look at verses 50 to 52 Now there was a man named Joseph From the Jewish town of Arimathea He was a member of the council A good and righteous man Who had not consented to their decision And action And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Joseph sort of comes out of nowhere. We don't really know anything about him really up until this point. But he brings a breath of fresh air. Think about it. When when they took Jesus before the the council, whom he's a member of, it was a unanimous vote. But here we find out, there was at least one that was not in favor of this. And it makes you wonder, maybe they had the trial without him. Maybe they suspected where Joseph would fall on this. And they didn't want any detractors to come and get in the way. The way somebody else described him, he's like a, a secret disciple. Sort of, in some ways, you don't know anything about him until this happens. He's longing for the kingdom of God, though. What this means is he's longing for all of the promises, he knew his Bible, from Adam all the way to Abraham, Moses, and David. He's looking for all of those promises to come to fruition. Where are they? I'm longing for that. And here's Jesus. And Joseph, it seems, has tied his hopes to Jesus. And now it's as if his hopes are dashed. And for him to go to Pilate here and ask for the body, that would have been pretty amazing. Somebody like him to go publicly and align himself with Jesus, who had just been put to death, that would have risked his reputation, would have risked his career, it might have risked his life. There's just a little lesson in there, isn't there? What will we risk to align ourselves with Jesus? This man's basically risking everything to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is what he's seeking to do, to give him this honorable burial. He does not expect a resurrection. Do you bury people if you think they're going to be alive soon? I would just put them on the couch and wait for them to wake up. He didn't do that. His, his request is granted. Look at verse 53. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him, I'm going to say it, in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. Imagine the process Joseph has to go through. Think of the sounds of removing the nails from the wood and the hands and the feet. Lowering him down, however far how that would have been. Being careful with his head and with his neck. And then carrying him to the tomb, which doesn't seem to be really too far away. And then wrapping him in this shroud. And if you can imagine maybe taking one last look at the face where there was hope. And now there's simply no life at all. And the pit of your stomach kind of hits when you sense that. And Luke tells us we, we don't just want to get Joseph's view. There's other people watching this. Look at verses 54 through 56. 56. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. And the people, the women who had come with him from Galilee, followed him, followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. There then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. The day of preparation is basically a synonym for Friday. It's the day of preparing for the Sabbath, or maybe a feast. Sometimes it's used for both. But it was a little bit of a rush process. This is getting close to five o'clock. The Sabbath is the beginning. We got to get him in the tomb. And these women are there. Think of the view that they had watching all of this transpire. They love Jesus. They just saw him breathe his last and go limp on the cross. And then they get to watch Joseph and whoever else is with him pry the nails from the wood, take him down, carry him, and now they get to see him be put into the tomb. What will be the last thing they see? Stone probably rolled over and fell into its notch with a thud. Oh, the sense of finality. Man, what did they feel? Your whole world has been turned upside down in less than a day. They're standing there. Now, what do we do? We go home, get ready to come back to anoint the body. Luke gives us this little note in verse 56, the end of it. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. What was their Saturday like? Not like your Saturdays. What was their Saturday like? Was this restful? One of the things I've often thought about when we've had members, friends that have lost loved ones that are so close. One of the questions I've often had to me on Sunday is what is their first Sunday in worship like? What is it like, let's say they've been married for 30 years, what's it like to go to worship by yourself for the first time in 30 years? Think about this. What was their first Saturday like See, Luke is is driving this home, and I think they're starting to get it. They're starting to to feel this is hitting home. Jesus is gone. Jesus is dead. And Luke is driving this home. You can see it in the reactions of the people. Nobody expects Jesus to come up, to come up from the grave. Nobody expects the tomb to be empty ever. And one of the things that the way that Luke gives us, it's fascinating, the way he refers to the body. Did you notice it? It. It. It, there's one that says him, it probably should still be translated it. It's referred to as the body, so impersonal. It's a thing almost. In a sense, it's no longer him. He is dead. Jesus has suffered the curse of death. Do you sense how great of an enemy death is? you realize how great of an enemy death is for us? It's horrific. It's a reality all of us will have to reckon with. It's something that all of us, of course, unless Jesus returns, will have to endure. We will all die. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how much just in this church, how much death surrounds us all the time. Just since really I've been here. Think of the people that have passed away Donna, Sally, Jane, Charlie, Jackson, George, Tom, Marlise. Countless miscarriages. Death is all around us. Don't you want death to die? We need it to die. We need it to go away. And that's what's happening. That's what's happening here. See, if the story ends here, if it ends in the burial, if it ends in death, it's not a good story. Thankfully, it doesn't leave us on a cliffhanger. There is another chapter. And this is where we turn from Jesus is really dead because I want to say Jesus was really dead to Jesus is alive. Look at verses 1 through 4. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed by this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Look, for you and me, this is the greatest news ever. We see the empty tomb, we go, yeah, he rose. We're just so used to it. This is distressing to them. Friday's been horrible. Saturday really hasn't been too restful. And now they show up, they return. They're not coming to see an empty tomb. They're coming to see a dead body. And it's like he's not there. I almost imagine them walking up, carrying all the spices. They see the open tomb and they just drop everything and go, where is he? What happened? Did did his body get taken? And graciously and lovingly, think about this, the Lord sends two angels to tell them. Instead of allowing them to wallow in their perplexity, God says, go tell them. Go remind him. Go remind him what they needed to hear. Look at verses five through seven. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, "Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen." Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified. And on the third day, rise. I wonder if there was an argument in heaven about which angels got to do this. What an incredible honor. What do you want me to do? I want you to go down. I want you to meet with these distraught, distressed, hurting, hopeless women. And I want you to tell them that their hope is alive. I want you to tell them that Jesus is alive. That's your message He is risen really probably should have been enough. And really the empty tomb should have been enough because they should have seen the empty tomb and said, you know what, he told us a zillion times he was gonna rise from the dead. He told us this is exactly what would happen. He would suffer, he would die and rise again. And for various reasons, it just didn't sink in. It just did not sink in. They're not expecting it. Why not? Because they know what you know. Dead people don't rise from the dead. They don't. That's ludicrous. That is crazy talk. To think something like that. And see, new Christians get this better than those of us who've heard this a billion times. One of my favorite stories is my brother and a guy that he'd been witnessing to and was coming to the Bible study and they get on the resurrection and so they talk about it and this guy says, He was raised from the dead. And sort of my brother's like, matter of factly, yeah, okay, let's move on, right? No, no, no. The guy's like, no, you're not hearing me. He rose from the dead. New Christians get that more than often we do. This is incredible. I mean, what if I told you that I went to Mount Washington and jumped off one of those railings and flew to the point And kind of dipped my feet in the fountain. And then sort of glided through the city. You'd be like, what's wrong with him? I'm not telling you I did it. You would think there's something wrong. Which one's more difficult though? For a person to fly or a person to be raised from the dead? Which one's harder to believe in that sense? See, they'd seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, but Jesus did that. What kind of person has the ability to come back from the dead sort of on their own? Who is this that we're dealing with that has the ability to lay down his life and take it up again? What person is that powerful? We don't know anyone that is this powerful. Absolutely amazing. And see, they knew how great and awesome that Jesus was. They had some level. They did not fully grasp it, but it's starting to think, sink in. This is sort of the aha moment in the movie you watch, the TV show you watch, when all the pieces come together. And they go, remember? And everything comes together and clarity comes. What brings them clarity? Look at verse 8. And they remembered his words. What gave them perspective? What helped them understand the situation? The word of God. How important is the word of God? How important is the word of God? That we listen to it? That we respond to it? It's so important that if we don't, we might miss the resurrection. We don't see it coming. But we can so relate to this. How many times have you needed to be reminded of even the smallest thing? In your Christian life. That's so us. The angels got to proclaim the resurrection. And the women now get their chance. Look at verses 9 and 10. And returning from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven. And to all the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene. Joanna. And Mary the mother of James. And the other women with them. Who told these things to the apostles. Can you imagine them falling over themselves? How fast were they talking? How excited were they? Hey, look, we told you we were going to go, we were going to get up early like all Christians should, and we're going to go down to the tomb, and we're going to anoint the body. But guess what? When we got there, there were angels. The body wasn't there. And the angels told us, yes, he's not in there anymore. He's alive. Can y'all believe it? They've had to have argued over who would tell this. But you can imagine how excited they are. They can't wait to celebrate with the apostles. Can't wait for them to tell them this. Look at what happens in verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe. In my last year of seminary, I was at the first class of the day in September of 2012. And I got a call from Katie. Katie. And so I thought that was weird. She doesn't normally call during that time. So I went outside. And I'm on the phone and she says, I'm pregnant. My response was, are you really telling me this over the phone? Now, as inappropriate responses to good news go, (laughs) seven and a half? What about this the apostles have just been told the greatest news ever that Jesus is alive they call it nonsense that's what an idle tale is and they don't believe if you're the women how frustrated are you ever struggle to believe ever struggle with this did you see who doesn't believe here it's the apostles who would take the, gospels to the, end, to the gospel to the end of the earth. One of the things that tells us, this is the first time they're hearing of the resurrection. They don't believe. Sometimes belief takes time in real life. It takes time. We believe things that are hard to believe and we need the Lord to burst our blindness that we would see it. And fully understand it. But of the apostles, there's one who might be like some of us, really needs to check it out for ourselves. Look at verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. And he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. That was probably a calm and leisure jog. No. He's running as fast as he can. He's got to know. And there's the linen cloths. More evidence for him that says the women are telling the truth. What a turn of events. Peter is being confronted with the resurrection of Jesus. What's that going to do for Peter later on? uh, Peter was a denier. Peter goes from being somebody who denies knowing Jesus to somebody who dies for the sake of knowing him. That's how radical a change this is for him. And Luke drives the reality of the resurrection to us. The tomb is empty. Angels show up to tell us he's not there and he is alive. The linen cloths, they're there. Not him. Multiple eyewitnesses. This is one of the things about, I love this passage together because the first half of it, the body is everywhere. It, 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 the body, his body, blah, blah, Second part of the passage, body is nowhere. I can't find it. Jesus is alive, and Luke leaves the scene with Peter marveling and pondering. What was he thinking on the way home? Was he talking to himself? I think he was probably thinking about the implications, if this is true. And there are a zillion implications, but I'm just going to kind of wash over three of them. Peter marveling at this. One of the things, I want you to think of this on a personal level. Peter's best friend in the world on multiple levels, whom he saw suffer and die just a few days ago, is now alive. Let that wash over you just on the personal level. And how that would affect Peter. Think of the enormity of that incident you know you have close friends who have died even family members that have died what would be your response if they showed up today what would you think i literally just watched an episode of a tv show last night where part of the plot was this guy thought that this girl had been dead for two years and she showed up and his response was you're dead that's what we think we think of death as being final. We think of death as being, this is the end. And here is Jesus alive. One of the things about this, think of the joy that we can have. I've been overwhelmed over the last couple of chapters in Luke. I'm so thankful we're past all of that on some level. And we're now where Jesus is free from the suffering, the mocking, the beating. He is now in his new resurrected body. That is incredible. And that part of it just should bring us joy because this is our best friend, Jesus. Another implication, I'm imagining Peter sort of saying this, it's all true. It's all true. Everything Jesus ever said, everything he ever told us, which I obviously forgot, speaking for Peter, i had forgotten some of it, the resurrection vindicates Jesus Where people were claiming he wasn't the Son of God, where people were claiming he was someone who needed to be put to death, the resurrection is God's way of saying, No, this is my Son. He is righteous, he is perfect. Death cannot contain him. And Peter's thinking of all the things that that would mean. If all of this is true, this means this. When you read your Bible, all of it's true. Everything you read that you understand about Jesus, it's all true. It's not fantasy, it's not myth. It's true because Jesus is alive. And then I think again on on a personal level for Peter, the last time we saw Peter was he was denying Jesus. Never really had a chance to have that conversation with him. Now he's like, I will. I will get to be reconciled with him. It's all true. It's all true. And then the last one, I wonder if this went through Peter's head. Jesus has conquered death. I wonder if he thought that was Jesus defeating death. Maybe not on his walk home. Maybe it was a question mark. But I think the question for him is, who is this? Who does this type of stuff? Who dies and rises again? The Lord himself. And if Peter could have internalized the reality that Jesus rose from the dead, what does that mean for Peter? I will rise from the dead. This means all of your loved ones that have died will rise again. This means though you die here, you will rise again. This means no virus, no car accident, no cancer, nothing. Nothing can stop that. It's inevitable. If you are in Jesus Christ, you will rise again, though you will die. That's what this means. Jesus just destroyed death. I know we still have to endure it. But he has destroyed it as our ultimate enemy. We do not have to fear it anymore. Jesus is no longer under his dominion. And in a real sense, neither are you. And neither am I. Is that not worthy of praise? With everything that goes on in this world, with everything that's happening now, with all the fears and everything that's out there, though we die, though the world throws everything that it can at us, even killing us, we will rise. We will be alive because Jesus is alive. Let me pray for us. our Heavenly Father. These truths are often too hard to take in in just one sitting in just a short period of time, but your Spirit works. Lord, we ask that you would take the reality of this day. Take the reality of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and drive it home to our hearts that we might live in light of it. That we may have joy knowing that our precious Savior, He is alive, and in a sense waiting for us, so that when this earthly tent is gone, we will be with him, and one day that earthly tent will be restored, renewed, and all we will have is pleasures for everymore. Lord, help us to drink that in. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.